Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Future of XYZ. With me today, I am privileged to have Pano Anthos, who is the founder and CEO of XRC Labs, uh, an accelerator incubator based in New York City, uh, focused obviously on amazing startups in your 11th uh, cohort right now, founded originally in 2015, 2016. Um, you've had hundreds of brands go through, mostly focused in the consumer goods and retail space. Uh, you have an enormous uh, cross-section uh, of businesses, corporate and educational institutions and investors who participate and support the startups now. So I don't know anyone else who I would rather chat about the future of startups with than you. Well, I'm sure you could find some folks who would know more than me, but I'm happy to have that. I'm, I'm glad to be here, Lisa. Happy to chat. <laughs> It's a, it's a pleasure to have you. So we are going to talk about the future of startups. Um, and I guess the starting question is, you've been doing this for a number of years. And prior to founding XRC, you obviously were, were an investor in various other functions. So the question that I have is, based on where we are today in the startup ecosystem, what is the future from a timeline perspective? And what does that mean? Well, I, I think what's happening is that the velocity of change has has increased dramatically. And, you know, if you, you probably have seen the chart of how long it took for half the population to have a telephone, right, from its invention, half the population to have a computer and so forth. And so that velocity of adoption and change of, of innovation is now super fast, right? So company TikTok wasn't around two years ago. Now it's here, it's got a billion users. So, so innovation really is going to be this flywheel of, in many cases, short-term, short-lived or long-term lived changes in the way we consume, we buy, we use, the way companies run. And, and corporates, not just entrepreneurs, realize that that, that flywheel is indiscriminate, meaning Consumer doesn't treat a corporate with a you know kid gloves um, any more than they would a consumer app. And so, if the corporate doesn't get their act together and demonstrate um, that they've got a focus on the consumer and the changes going on in the consumer's life, they lose and they're out of business. And so, you know, again, I think what you're also going to see is big corporations will fail faster than they ever have before because hordes of little startups will be nipping away at their heels and some will be sprouting and turning into very, very big companies. So it's, it's inevitable. So the flywheel is really what the velocity of change and the ability to start a startup has on the one hand, never been easier. Um, it's also never been harder because you got to cut through all the noise, right? You know, I mean, how many shoe startups do we need to see? How um, I many, you know, it's, there's just a lot of startups where the entrepreneur really should not be starting a company because there's really no chance of that company succeeding. Hmm. But they're not weighing that with everything else. They're simply saying, it's easy to start a startup. I'm going to start one. 
it's pa it's passion more than consumer need. Yeah, it's a, it's a solution looking for a problem. <laughs> Which of course is like one of the threats uh, always of, uh, of, of startups is, uh, is, is finding that you actually have built something and no one actually needed it. Well, you wouldn't build it if it costs a lot of money. So in the old days, you know, when it would cost $5 million to build a startup, you were very careful to make sure that there was a good reason for this and that lots of people were vetting it before you even built it. Often you would raise 5 million bucks on a PowerPoint about what you would build, but everyone understood the problem and said, yes, that's a, that's a good use of money. Let's go do that. Now you expect the startup to come in with the product and surprise you, which means that the onus is on them to validate, you know, we never worried about a thing called product market fit back in the nineties. No, just Every, built everything fit, everything fit. There was a need for everything. So, so that's now much more critical and, and, and investors are far more critical because it's easy to build stuff. So it's interesting because if we think about the future of this space, then access to capital is something that you're basically saying it's not only that, but access to capital is obviously one of the major game changers in the last, let's say, decade, decade and a half that has made starting a startup so easy, as well as off the shelf solutions and just like a more, um, I guess, willing and open ecosystem for that. If we're talking about like hordes of startups nipping at the heels of bigger companies and everything else, what is that timeline that we're looking at when perhaps like the, the big guys exist only to absorb small guys so that that's where their innovation flywheel comes from, for instance? Well, that's, but I, I think if you talk to any brand right now, they're expecting to leverage their balance sheet to buy companies relatively cheaply and then scale them. And they run the risk of, you know, not picking right or spending too much, you know, because they're not really versed in this. It's not their business. Yeah. Um, they're not acquirers by nature, right? So um, they're developers by nature. They built their own product. They built their, so being tasked, I mean, the reality is, and you've heard this many times probably, that P&G hasn't really released a new product, a billion dollar product since the Zwiffer or whatever back in 2000, so, or 90, whatever it was. So, you know, you're, you're, you're tasking corporates now to come up with a acquisition model for their business that they don't have any experience with right. as, as an innovation. It's one thing to do mergers and acquisitions and say, okay, we're going to buy Gillette. That's a very different conversation than buying a $20 million company and hoping to turning it into 500 million or a billion. Absolutely. And so, and so as we think about like, so I'm just going to extrapolate. So we have obviously in the ecosystem, there are lots of players, there are lots of voices to be heard. Number one is the consumer. Losing sight of that is, is a death knell, it sounds like. It's, it is the only thing that matters. And, and I mean, I'd agree with that as a, as a, as a branding person, you know, if you're not speaking to a consumer need and want state, like forget it. So that makes sense to me. The rest of the ecosystem that can help scale, that can provide advisory work, that can invest, how is that evolving and what does the future of that look like as it just continues to, it seems to just keep growing? Well, I think what's happened is mentors, people who have industry experience realize that they can, they can participate with a quid pro quo and gain as much in giving as in receiving or a give, gain as much in receiving as in giving. So it used to be a one-way street where, you know, if a 
marketer like yourself or someone else offered some time to a startup, it was just a big drain on you and there wasn't really anything coming out of it in return. Forget equity or cash or whatever, just learning. And now because the pace of change is happening so quickly, it's impossible to stay current. You're out of sync within six months if you're not in, in the flow constantly. And so we've been, as we, we talked about earlier, you know, the, the interest of people being mentors has shifted dramatically in the last five years from, oh, this is a pain in the neck, but I'll do it because I'm a nice person to, I have to do it if I want to stay current. Right. And my corporate job or my job, whatever I'm doing, doesn't give me the option of staying current. Um, and a lot, if you're, you know, if you're inside a corporation, you barely see the light of day. You barely get out off your desk. So your ability to see anything really is limited to what you can read, which is very limited today. Yeah. Um, and if you're a consultant, you're, you're too busy selling and doing to be able to spend time learning. Yeah. And so this is an easy way to learn because you're watching, you know, and I'll give you an example. I mean, you're watching an, an industry form like out of, out of nothing. So we have a company that I gave a very low probability of succeeding, um, not because the founder wasn't great, but they just didn't understand manufacturing and how to, and it was a meditation pillow. I remember this one. Yeah, and the meditation pillow actually like rumbles, um, if you can say that, I don't know, or vibrates, not the right word, but makes noise and, and, and moves around as a soothing process, right? To quiet your spirit and to slow you down. Um, you know, like, really? Like, where did this come from? Who came up with this cra crazy idea? But now Nike has signed on and is writing them a fairly big check just to stay current because they've said what this guy is doing is at the forefront of a whole new concept called meditation, not new, so it's very old. But like yoga, the, the oldest, in fact. Yeah, but like yoga, which went from you know kind of the, the you know Near Eastern culture to now every every culture, uh, is and and Lululemon is the epitome of a brand commercializing that culture, if you will, and and everyone's saying what's next? Well, meditation is very likely to be on the forefront. So if you're not in front of those entrepreneurs who are the ones who are really in the trenches working through the details of building a meditation platform, business, practice, whatever you want to call it, you're out of sync. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, it totally makes sense. And, and, and the capital you talked about before the mentor, the, you know, the continued learning and you and I have had this conversation before since, you know, in, in all honesty to the audience, I am a mentor at XRC and have been since the beginning, but you, you know, there is a growing demand for that very reason. And of course this year, people have some time on their hands because they aren't traveling as much right. and it feels good. But I think what's interesting about the future state, you know, once, and maybe this is an extrapolation, but Back in the day, you know, you had these kind of apprenticeship programs, um, you know, in the Renaissance and stuff, you didn't learn how to do anything without being an apprentice. And in some ways is the future of mentorship within a startup ecosystem. It's almost like in kind of in the same vein. Yeah, yeah, I, I, um, I mean, I think I think the question of how we will work um, will really influence how entrepreneurs will operate. Um, you're right. I mean, COVID has made people available. I mean, we've had record turnouts in every 
we've had, we sent out an email about the demo day. We already have 400 registrations. This is insane because everyone knows they're not traveling. Yeah. Like everyone knows they're going to be home. Yeah. They're going to be in front of their desks. So why not? Whereas a year ago, it's like, well, I don't know. I may be traveling or I may be here or maybe there or maybe. So, you know, if, if millions of people were moving around on a monthly basis and they've all stopped moving, it's crazy what you have access to. I don't think we're going to go back to moving like we used to. We just don't need to. Right. Um, so you, I think we'll see more access. So the issue around capital, so I think mentorship will only expand um, as people have more time and are traveling less. Yeah. Capital is actually going to get um, harder. It's, it's a barbell effect. It's going to be easier for the winners and harder for the losers. Yeah. Um, that just like, you know, unfortunately what's going on in our society, which is you've got the poor and you've got the rich and the in-between is, is, is going away. You're, you're going to have really crappy startups and amazing startups and nothing in between because people don't have the patience or the time or want to wait to see if this startup will, will become a big company. Um, it's why I don't like investing in the middle. What I do is we, we do is we invest super early. And so you invest a lot of companies and you really don't know who's going to win or not. An example of this, this meditation cushion last March, I would have given him, I, I told him flat out, you know, you're going to have a really tough time yeah. and he's made it happen. So, so, um, you know, getting him in really early allows people to give him a little money, see what sprouts. It's kind of like a garden. You know, not every plant grows at the same sp speed, right? Water everything um, and just hope and see what happens. And it's kind of like, it's not very curated, um, but you know, it, whether you call it Darwin or you call it the fittest, whatever you want to come up with, it's, you know, great entrepreneurs show themselves for what they are and what they can make happen. And, you know, by kind, I'll give you an example. I mean, um, you know, Billy's been a huge success. And Billy's the shaving cream company. Well, and now full, full range of, of right, shaving right. products. If I told you how little money they, you know, we, with just the money we gave them, they launched the company, like literally public launch and um, with crazy amounts of press and everything else around it. So it can be done. It's just, you know, if entrepreneurs go running around looking for money too quickly and don't really deliver on the promise of the, of the platform or the product, yeah, they're going to have a tough time. No, that makes sense. It's, it's interesting as we think about like the capital and the mentorship and the fact that people aren't going to be running around traveling in the same way that they historically were, right? I think that there's this really interesting um, question that comes to my mind as to, you know, you've had these ecosystem cities, if you will, New York, for, and they've been industry focused. So consumer goods, retail, tech is in the Silicon Valley, you know, biotech, et cetera, is in Boston. And then obviously globally, it's a whole nother thing. Is that going to change as well in this startup? Is that it's more democratized and can happen anywhere? Or do you think that there's still kind of like a brain trust um, and the ecosystem is, is a physical geography? Well, the only way it would blow up is if um, work became completely remote. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think what we're seeing with our team of 12 is that, you know, there's clearly a lot of freedom to be wherever, but there's a need to get together on a regular basis. Yeah. And 
that regularity could be once a month, it could be twice a month, it doesn't have to be every day, there's no reason to be in the office every day, that's for sure. Um, but you're also got to be where the action is. So right now, the action's all from home. So you don't lose anything by not traveling. In fact, you're considered a weirdo if you travel. <laughs> totally. But if there's a conference on, you know, next July that people are physically going to and you decide to stay home, no one's going to treat you well with it and say, oh, yeah, sure, we'll talk to you via Zoom while we're all at this physical conference. That's not going to happen. So there is going to be this FOMO or, you know, kind of a, a herd mentality around what is, how are we all going to congregate? And right now we don't have a choice, right? But we will have a choice in some future state. And, I, and venture, I think, is going to revert back to if the choice is do I physically meet you or do I virtually meet you, I would prefer to physically meet you. Right. If I can't physically meet you, okay, I will do a virtual call, but not as a, as a pre, not as, as a, as a standard. Correct. Yeah, you need to feel that person if you're going to invest that much capital. You want to have a have a sit sit and look someone actually in the eye and get the full, the full visceral experience of them. Yeah, and you can't do that now, and you can use the excuse of well, we weren't allowed to, so investors can't. We'll give you a pass if it turns out the, the person's a, a chainsaw murderer or something like that. But you know. Otherwise, uh, you're going, and also team building. And my second point was that, you know, if your teams are entirely remote, not that many will be remote. I mean, Twitter is, you know, there's so many applications out there where just the dialogue with customers doesn't exist, right? But if you're a, if you're a service organization or you're del delivering a lot of cultural value to a community, you're gonna wanna be with your team, you know, kibitzing, talking, sharing, joining, you know, whatever. And I think that's gonna still be very much the case. So it'll mean that you still have these pockets. So, which is great. I mean, and I think for collaboration, which I think is a huge piece of the future, hopefully, which is about that that connection and that collaboration, having that proximity is, is important. And you talked, I mean, the flywheel effect is also proximity. So that's an important distinction. So if we do think about the future and the future of startups what do you think like what is the timeline when the model started to change from what it was before and where are we in the trajectory for it to become like a next future no but see this is the thing it's the same model it's just moving faster uh -huh. there's still you know you got to build something and then you've got to get someone to see that it works and then you've got to like so that the, the collapsing of time is really the issue. It just doesn't take long to start a startup. And if anything, I think startup entrepreneurs do a disservice to themselves by staying with a startup that deserves to be shut down. Fair, I it's think that's fair. It. It's not cutting it. Now, sometimes you need a cataclysmic event to jumpstart your business, okay? You know, if you were in the conference, if you were in the virtual conferencing business, so I was involved in actually a virtual education business for a while with avatars and the whole bit and classrooms. And people just looked at it and said, you know, I, I just don't need this. I mean, I've got colleges and classes and I'll be in. Now it's like, everyone's like, oh my gosh, we got to go virtual. It's going to revert back. So, so some companies will do really well by it, but um, you're still going to have, it's the same model, which is people invest expecting a return and it's just at what stage. And so we have seed and pre-seed, which just used to be series A. And, and it's just the names, the numbers have just gotten earlier. Yeah. It's just getting, it's just elongating. What you have now, which you didn't have before, 
are more investors at all stages of the spectrum. Yeah. You know, investing used to be only for a certain class of people. And now anyone can be an investor. Yeah. Yeah. And that's powerful. That, that's a big change. And combined with the fact that everyone wants to be a mentor, right? You all of a sudden have an, and that big brands and big companies need to uh, absorb smaller companies for their invest, you know, innovation arm. All of a sudden you have, to use your word again, flywheel, but it's really an acceleration of the startup ecosystem as we go forward is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're going to see more crappy companies built and fail than ever before. And you'll still have a bell curve of the successful ones. Yeah. It's just the bell curve on whatever you want to call it, power curve, bell curve. It just refuses to die. It is a 80, 20, whatever you want to call it. Rule of thumb is just continues to plot itself out. It, it, it's a statistical rule, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's how we somehow have to, there's a long tail and, but that's absolutely true. So as we start to wrap up, um, I, I'm being cognizant of time. I guess my closing question and to, to what we just talked about. So if in fact there are going to be more startups really than ever, um, and some of them are going to get really big very quickly, and some of them, many of them, most of them will fail faster. What is your recommendation for anyone who's thinking about getting involved in this space um, and the, in the future of startups? Like, do you do it or like, you know, think about the consumer, but what else? No, I, look, I, I, the most important, I think a founder has to decide is, do they really, really care about this? Well, number one, is this a passion of theirs? And then they really have to understand the competitive landscape. And, and when I say competitive landscape, I don't mean necessarily who else is doing the exact same thing. It's how else does a consumer get what they need done yeah. another way? I call it and, the competitive comparative. Okay. It's, it's, it's like, it's a comparative as well. It's like, where, where else do I get the similar solution? Not just an immediate competitor. Right. Yeah. And, or get, get my needs met. It's not even a solution in most cases. It's just yeah. how do I get my needs met? Yeah. And does it raise, does, does the importance of the solution uh, rise high enough in my priority queue to change my behavior. Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, the, the easiest startups that have grown the most are the ones that did not actually invent anything. They just made whatever version, you know, better than what was before. Google was just a better search engine. Facebook yeah. was lesser, better social, you know, uh, media platform because MySpace and Friendster had been there before. So. It doesn't mean that you've got to, you don't have to originate something, right? right? You just have to make it better. And that's, well, and that's yeah. I think that's what we're talking about then. The future of startups is like add value to the customer. Like, and that's not novel. That is, that is just doubling and tripling, quadrupling down on what the, the need has been always for business to be successful. Well, true, except now you have so many choices that as a consumer, you're overwhelmed by the options and you probably go into paralysis you know, it's like going into a grocery store and seeing 50 different types of boxes of Cheerios. Yeah. Like, what, what do I do with this? Right. Totally. And so that's that paralysis, I think is what, what, what consumers are faced with when they just are bombarded with every possible permutation through Facebook ads or Google or whatever yeah. of everything. So you really have to find a, the, the entrepreneur has to be very um, self-selective and really believe 
and be convinced, we start with a rule of five. If you, if you go to five friends and they don't buy what you're selling, like literally physically give you money for what you're selling, you should stop doing it. I like that. It's, it's very simple. I mean, that's that's like taking, like going to the old marketplace, the bazaar. It's looking at the future by taking like a, an old model from the past. Yeah, definitely. That's good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your being here. Thank you. And Thank you. Congrats on the next cohort coming up. Um, I'll be I'll be involved, and um, I look forward to seeing where the future of XRC and the future of the startups all lead. Absolutely. Thank you, Lisa. Looking forward to it. And congrats on your progress. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Pano. Alrighty. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.